Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a staycation, Macy's has everything you need. Summer's almost here, and I'm so excited to take a trip with Bryn. We are planning it right now. We are heading to Macy's before we pack to grab new shoes we can wear all day with anything. I'm excited to lay in the sun with key pieces from Macy's, like my new Dolce Vita sandals and Levi's skirt. I am ready to relax and look and feel amazing. Oh, how good that sounds. Of course, I can't forget a new beach bag. I have been eyeing the collection of beach bags from Macy's, and I can't wait for you to see what I choose. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond, but at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Imagine a sharp, stabbing pain on your skin. Sounds like a nightmare, right? While individual experiences may vary, it's how some people describe shingles. This painful blistering rash could interrupt your life for weeks. It could even force you to cancel social events or weekend plans. Over 99% of adults 50 years or older already carry the virus that causes shingles. One in three people will get it in their lifetime. Why wait? Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles today. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. So I, a couple of years ago, partnered with Mark Burnett and MGM because I reached out to Mark Burnett, just called him, cold called him with an idea. And we talked about doing a bunch of different shows. At the same time, a lot of my career grew in ways I never knew that it would when I left the Housewives. I mean, I knew I was going to keep going, but my business has absolutely exploded. And when I first left Housewives, I was a little bit worried, not about me being successful or going broke, but just that that was... Um, that was lucrative. And when you have homes and a staff and office and, you know, an infrastructure, you have to keep the machine going. So at that point, I did a deal with Mark Burnett to do many different shows, produce shows that I'm in, produce shows that I'm not in. And I love that idea. And I still love that idea. And the first one we did was The Big Shot. And the reason that we did The Big Shot together was because it was a business competition show. And also because it was a natural need that I had. So I'm big on stacking. So I naturally needed to staff up because my business grew so exponentially. So why not use a show to do that? So you're double dipping. You're basically producing a show, but you're also working on staffing. So in the meantime, with that deal, we talked about selling a bunch of other shows. And that's really a whole business unto itself. And while 
I want to produce other shows, I don't want to personally feel the pressure to do that. And I don't like to really be shackled to anybody else and felt like I owe someone something or I don't like to be exclusive that much either. So when I was asked back to the Housewives, when Andy came and made me the offer I couldn't refuse, I had many strict terms. And most of the terms were you can't shackle me because everyone is shackled by being on these shows by their networks. There's a reason that you didn't see the Kardashians on other networks. There's a reason why you didn't see the Housewives on other networks for the most part. There are exceptions, single shows, single incidents. There are reasons why you don't see a lot of Housewives doing certain ads because if it's a big, big company that might advertise on Bravo, it's being cannibalized because these people are now doing ads on their own on their Instagram. Those big brands may not have to go to Bravo. So when I came back, I said... I am able to do a business competition show. I will be able to be on Shark Tank if I wanted to do this, if I wanted to do that. I was I carved out a lot of things. I'm a big carver-outer because it had to work for me. With the lucrative deal that I was partnered with Mark Burnett in, I would have to really kind of be shackled to them. You know, they're a major, major multi-billion dollar company. And um, if I were to do any other podcasts, I would have to do it with them and any shows I have to do it with them. And I've just realized, and you have to realize in your life what your business type is. While we know I'm not corporate, even within this sort of maverick entrepreneurial lifestyle, I am also not someone who wants to just lock in with one partner because there are different companies that make different types of shows and different production companies that make different types of podcasts. And so... Many times in business, you will learn as you go. Did I think about that in the beginning? No, it's an honor to be partnered with Mark Burnett. I like him immensely, professionally and personally. His wife is lovely. I go to their house. He's invited me to stay there to give me the chance to want to partner with me later in life when he probably, you know, at some point still saw me as that apprentice person. I always am loyal to those who've given me the chances. So... The press will make it like either I don't like him or something went wrong. And, you know, the truth is I'm just the type of person who wants to have an a la carte menu career. And it's extremely rare to have a career like I do and to not have an agent. It's almost unheard of. People don't. All people have agents. And I, years ago, had an amazing agent at an amazing agency in branding, in talent, in TV production, writing, et cetera, uh, personal appearances, and then you're locked in with them. It's the same exact thing. You're with them for all of those different categories. When I thought that maybe the agency might be good at one category, but not the others, and I don't want to be shackled. So as I've gotten more successful, I've created my own menu of how I operate and the projects that I do. And because I can get pretty much anyone on the phone, if I want to do a television show on Netflix, let's just say, And I had a good idea. I would find out who to call at Netflix. And I would call them or I would email them. And I bet they'd call me back. Based on history, they'd call me back. And then we'd figure out who we wanted to write or produce it. And then I'd call whoever that person was. And the message is that most people are accessible. So you can probably get to someone if you have a great way to get to them. Meaning, years ago, I wanted to beyond the Food Network, and I would look at the television and read who produced shows and then just call their offices and send cookies because I baked healthy cookies, Bethany Bakes. And lo and behold, I get a meeting. But I love Mark Burnett, and um, 
I love being a free agent more. So are you a person who really likes to follow guidelines and have the protection of the structure of not really just a corporate infrastructure, but a business rule follower? You're sort of going by principles that you've seen work and you've seen other people practice, or are you just making up the rules as you go along? Because I am an absolute make up the rules as I go along in every contract, in every deal, in every product, in every partnership, in everything. But you know what? All that stuff is important to me to tell you. My guest today is Cheryl Sandberg, Chief Operating Officer at Facebook, where she oversees the firm's business operations. She is Facebook's number two. She is one of the most powerful, intelligent women of our time in this country, in the world. I kept looking on my weekly update, seeing her name that she was coming on, and I still kept saying to myself, is Sheryl Sandberg really coming on here? Just like I did when Hillary Clinton came on, just like, you know, so many other people. So uh, it's very humbling, and I'm excited to talk to her. She serves on Facebook's board of directors. Prior to Facebook, Cheryl was a vice president of global online sales and operations at a small, cute little company called Google and chief of staff for the United States Treasury Department under President Clinton. Today, we talk about the importance of post-traumatic growth, the struggles of being a woman in leadership, why sometimes you need to let go of the reins and let your team take the lead. That's what I call getting out of the weeds and the importance of gratitude. I love talking with Cheryl. I learned so much. There were so many amazing takeaways and I think you are going to love this interview. Hello. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So thank you for doing this. I'm so excited to do this. You are? I'm really humbled. I mean, I'm not, you know, the show has been going incredibly well, and I've been uh, sort of strict with the filter about who I have on, not uh, as it pertains to sort of fame or PR, but as it pertains to someone's story or what they've built or where they've come from. So, you know, you're, I was talking to my fiance today, and I was saying, uh, this is like my, you know, my biggest get. And he was like, you know, it is. No, I, I have so much to say to you. Ready? One. Okay. I really admire how you've led in terms of being a businesswoman. Like you went from a show that is, I didn't watch it much, but not really about that <laughs> into like being like a serious businesswoman. And I, a lot of people admire you. I'm one of them too. I like worship skinny margaritas to change my life. <laughs> I really do. So like, it's like a real thing. But three, I mean, you're one of the only other people I know who experienced loss the way I did. And it's funny. I usually reach out to people. I try. I don't believe I did to you. I should have, you know, so I just, I feel like we have so much in common and I'm like so happy to do this. But anyway, I'm really excited to do this. And what you're trying to talk about is all the stuff I care about. Right. I just want to talk about you. Having women like you and Hillary Clinton on this show has so far surpassed what I imagined, but it's what I want to discuss. So, well, so the show, I don't know if you've listened, but the show is about you know, how someone achieves success through so many different journeys and how there are so many roads to Rome. And people listening are finding this to be a toolbox so they don't have to have a one-size-fits-all success model, but they're taking little pieces from individuals based on how they operate in business, in family, in relationships. So I'm interested in you and I'm interested in, so how did you grow up? What were your parents like? And what was your relationship to money, to success, to drive, to perform? Like what was instilled in you or not instilled in you? 
so I grew up in North Miami Beach, Florida, you know, a, a suburb. My father was a doctor. Um, my mother, they had both moved from New York. You know, my father, I remember when I got into college, um, I went to a big public high school and I got accepted to Harvard. And I went to a high school where, you know, a thousand kids in the class, 850 graduated, 400 went to college. So you can understand, you know, this right. is not, you know, this is not New York City. Right. <laughs> this is not Andover and Exeter. Um, and I got into Harvard and, you know, a whole bunch of people said to me, why would you want to go there? Ooh, isn't everyone going to be a geek? Hmm. But then a bunch of people said to me, can you afford to go? And my parents were going to send me. And I went home and said to my dad, you know, someone asked me today if I could afford to go. And I was really embarrassed. And my dad had tears in his eyes. It was the first time I ever saw him cry. And he said, he got into, my dad, he said, I got into Princeton and I didn't get a scholarship and I couldn't go. I am so proud that I can send you to college. Oh, that's such a nice story. Wow. Yeah. And so I grew up with a father who really, you know, his father, you know, wanted to be a teacher, but couldn't pass the exam, worked in a post office, then sold insurance. My dad did it all on his own, you know, worked his way through college, was still paying off his college and med school loans way into my childhood. And so I grew up with a, like, you work hard. We are kind of a Jewish immigrant family. We just came, even though it had been two generations, but we are going to have that, you know, you work hard for the next generation. I, I grew up with that. I also grew up with a family that was pretty anti-money, actually. Anti-business, anti-flash. There were people in my neighborhood who would buy flashy clothes or flashy cars. My parents did not approve of that. Academics? Oh, big academics. Big academics. Learn for learning's sake. You know, I was told, someone who's now one of my very best friends in the fourth grade told me I had fake jeans. What does that mean? Because everyone had the Jordache jeans. Oh, God. And I didn't have the Jordache jeans. My mom bought me, you know, the much lower end cheap. And then, um, and she, my parents actually could have afforded to buy me that stuff. They just didn't want to. It was, it was their values. You don't buy expensive jeans for a 10-year-old. Well, also, but the value of things. Like my daughter, 90% of the clothes that she has, now a couple of nicer things because she's getting into some of the brands, but were from TJ Maxx. Because I was like, I'm going to buy a four-year-old $100 sweater. Like it doesn't make any sense. And it's all by myself, something that's hundreds of dollars. But I thought it was ridiculous. But also I'm a person who cares very much about value. And that may sound crazy. Something could be thousands of dollars. But is it, does it hold its value? Is it actually worth that? Is it an experience I'll have forever? Or is it just an obvious waste of money because it's got some logo on it? I studied that in business school. Really? Yeah, that, there's a name for it. I think it's the value-based consumer. Yeah, there's like a, you are a, you are a, there's like four types and you're one of them. And that's actually oh. a pretty cool one to be. My husband was that. Interesting. Yes. It, it, I don't, like, I might spend thousands of dollars on a bag, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel right paying for a, a sweetener packet because they're just sitting there at Starbucks. They're free. Like, I wouldn't want to buy the box. It, would, it just would bother me and it's $3. But anyway, you know, are you a corporate person? You've worked within some framework of a structure it seems through your career, which is so, well, actually before that, actually before that. So we're talking about values and we're talking about don't waste money. Don't be flashy. A, what do they think of your success, but then also your financial success? Like what is that relationship within your, the people you grew up with and within your sort of inner circle, that relationship to money? The, do you have money noise? Did you always think, because if you're saying you have an immigrant mentality, did you think it was going to be taken away from you? Even, no matter how much it is, people have that feeling. It was really never the goal. 
And I grew up thinking I went to business school, but I joined the nonprofit club. I was going to work in government or nonprofits. I worked out of college. I went to the World Bank. I went to the Children's Defense Fund. Then I went to the U.S. Treasury Department. I never really thought I'd work in business. And then what happened is I was at the Treasury so during the Clinton years, and this is when the tech boom started and Yahoo was starting. And I couldn't believe what was happening. You know, I, I was a kind of geeky girl and I used to go to the library a lot. And then there was Google and you could search and you didn't have to go to the library and you didn't have to look at a book. It was all there. And it was, I thought, the most incredible thing. And I, you know, really wanted to be part of what I thought was, you know, a different way of making the world better. I know our industry is suffering reputationally. And I know, I know, I know that people don't always believe this anymore. But I think a lot of us who work in this industry deeply believe it. And I do. And I did. So when I was at Google, I was in charge of a bunch of operational stuff, but one of them was scanning the books. And interestingly, a professor I had had at Harvard, we were scanning Harvard's books, said to me, but you know, what's special about getting into Harvard is you go, you can read those books. Now anyone's going to have access. What, what does that mean, scanning the books? Like, what do you mean? Google had a project to scan the world's books so that they would be available. So like the, you know, the depths of Widener Library, the depths of the, you know, National Archives of France, like you can't go, you can't read that stuff except you go to those places and walk 10 stories down and you're in a basement looking at old book. Google for free scanned everything or tried to scan as much as possible. And someone said to me, aren't you going to feel bad? Like you worked so hard to get admitted here and then anyone's going to have access. And I was like, feel bad? That's amazing. A child in India a child anywhere would have access to the books that I got access to. I loved it. I wow. just loved it. And I believed, and I still do. But you felt the way of coming. You were, you felt that you were in a place that was mesmerizing. It sounds like, like you could feel, you know, you, you're a bit of a forecaster. It seems like you could have sort of saw something coming with a group of people before the world saw it coming. No, I wish I did. I really do. I wish I saw that. I don't think I realized Google would be a big business when I first took my first tech job. And then I did want Facebook to be a big business, but both times it was, it was very mission-based. You know, then when you think about the internet in the early days, one of my favorite cartoons was a dog sitting in front of a computer and it said on the internet, no one knows you're a dog. (laughs) Uh But I couldn't believe that people were putting their real name and faces on the internet. When I first saw Facebook, I was at Google, we did information and it was all, you know, it was just information. And people were putting their names and faces. And I had a long lost friend that had moved away when she was in sixth grade. And her name, was, I don't want to say her name, but her name was the most common name you could, her last name was Smith. Okay. And you could not find her, could not find her. And I found her. She wow. found me on Facebook. And I had been looking for this woman for like five years. That's unbelievable. I thought it was amazing. And so I didn't chase financial success. And, and I, I did have that along the way. You asked how my family has dealt with it and my friends. I mean, probably the most important thing I've done is philanthropy. And I know you've done amazing things. I thought what you did during COVID for small businesses, what you did, you've done, you've done some really, really impressive stuff. You know, my family is involved and my friends in my, in my foundation. That's amazing. So it's like a village mentality, which is, that's amazing. So they can share in your success in giving back. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Tempt to hire part time or full time. 
You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Imagine a sharp, stabbing pain on your skin. Sounds like a nightmare, right? While individual experiences may vary, it's how some people describe shingles. This painful blistering rash could interrupt your life for weeks. It could even force you to cancel social events or weekend plans. Over 99% of adults 50 years or older already carry the virus that causes shingles. One in three people will get it in their lifetime. Why wait? Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles today. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico or Puerto Rico. My accent's not the best, but I'm trying. But... I know Puerto Rico well. I've been there so many times. I Be Strong has done so many missions after Hurricane Maria. It is more than just a name. It is a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. The unique Bariqua spirit infuses the island's culinary landscape with a -a one-of-a-kind passion and point of view unlike anywhere else. I love Puerto Rico. I've been there twice in the last year. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and Native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. What do you find to be the hardest part about running a business? I'm trying, I want to understand what your day feels like, what the infrastructure is like. Do you crack? Do you get super stressed and snappy? And we'll get into the whole bitchiness of being a woman in business because that's the only aspect of that whole thing that I ever really feel. Like I want to get into that, the men and women thing, because I've never thought about it at all, except for that tough bitch part. But what is it like running your business or I mean I have a hard time running my business which is small but I feel that it's extremely overwhelming and intense and the the weeds are almost impossible to get out of so are you in the weeds at all well 
The most important thing I learned as I was scaling things at Google and Facebook is to make sure I don't think I'm that important. So when I was at, so when I first joined Google, I had a team of four people and we were running this thing called AdWords, which was the early part of their ads business. And we were growing really quickly. We had to hire. We couldn't keep up with the demand, which is a nice problem to have. But the four people were a team for a long time before that. And I said to them, don't worry, you're all going to get to interview everyone. But then a week later, we had 12 people and we had 12 people interviewing. It didn't work at all. Right. But I still interviewed. I still interviewed because I thought, you know, how could someone join my team if I didn't meet them? And so then fast forward, we're about 100 people. I have like a little structure and I have direct supports and I'm still interviewing every single person, but my interviews are now five minutes. Mm -hmm. And I realized my interviews are slowing down our hiring because it takes like a week to get on my schedule. So in a meeting of my five direct reports, I say, maybe I should stop interviewing. And Bethany, I fully expected them to jump in and say, absolutely not. You're a fabulous interviewer. It's your team. Of course you need to interview. We'll make it work. Do you know what they did? They applauded. Wow. They applauded. And I said to myself, oh my God, I'm not interviewing. And then I looked at them and I said, I have failed you because I didn't set this up so that you told me to stop interviewing. I was the bottleneck to our progress it's my fault that I had to suggest it and you had to applaud. Like, I, And I want to make sure next time, if I have a blind spot, you don't wait for me to see it. You all tell me. Well, but do you think they really, I, they might not have realized it. It's like sort of happening in real time, you know, like no one around me realizes I'm in the full weeds until I say to everyone, I, I'm crack. I'm in all the weeds. I'm answering questions on a macro level about lawsuits and multi-billion dollar partnerships. And then I'm talking about, you know, we have a moment right now where a former assistant is holding pizzas for HSN hostage right now that I have to put on live television on Friday. I have, host- I have a hostage crisis of frozen pizzas, but that's what that, so I'm in the hostage crisis negotiating for these frozen pizzas that are five inches in diameter. I'm like, and I said to everyone, I don't think I should be in the middle of the pizza hostage crisis. I just don't think, I think I should have and peace negotiator working on the pizza hostage crisis. We'll see. We don't know. But part of that's about delegating and about hiring the people around you to delegate. I think your new show is going to help you find someone, right? Yes. Well, the thing is, and that's why I want to get into a little bit of the corporate versus being um, like a maverick entrepreneur comparison, because I am the, the, the talent in the face, the creator, the marketer, but then also I want everyone to take me more out of the business. I don't want to be the president and the, the COO and all of those things. I, I want to be able to do this stuff. I want to be able to be involved in that, but it's hard to do personal and business at the same time. Does that make any sense? Like being the talent is very hard in addition to, to be running the company. It's impossible. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not the talent, but... But I do understand what you're saying in the sense that you can't do everything. And as your business scaled and your business has really scaled impressively. So what you need to figure out is what you want to do and what you don't want to do. When I took my job at Facebook, you know, I went to work for 23 year olds, 23, the people who had come before me who were senior had not lasted. So I actually flew around. I went to see, um, Tim Cook at Apple. He had done that job for Steve Jobs. I went to see Safra Katz at Oracle. She had done that And I went to see a man who had done it for Bill Gates and a couple of other people who kind of went in to these companies that were super successful and they were the number two and they were the operations person. And I asked them all like, you know, what, how did it go well? Because these were the ones that went well. Like, how did it go well? And I listened to what they said and I distilled it down to one thing. And I went back and I said, Mark, my job is to do whatever you don't want to do. Wow. That's my job. Now with me and Mark, I think we were very naturally we fit together very naturally because he's an engineer's engineer and a product person. I mean, he, he really is. And I'm not, 
And so it naturally falls that I lead the sales organization and he does product. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what you need. You need someone and a bunch of people who are going to say to you, my job is to do what what you don't want to do today. Well, by the way, it's a great point you're making, Cheryl, because often I find from people, it's about communication where, for example, I was working with a house designer and these women said, I don't like to design. I don't want to pick out furniture, even though they're designers. They wanted to do renovation, interior renovation. And then the other designer they're working with said, I hate that stuff. I like this, where I'm surprised. I would have thought nobody wanted to do the interior renovation. To your point, you probably have thrived, obviously have thrived, and wanted to do, coincidentally, the things that Mark didn't want to do. Well, that made us a good fit. Literally, he interviewed me for months. And I was so impressed with him. I wanted the job. (laughs) And it was literally months of long dinners. We talked about everything under the sun. We talked about how we felt about things, what our values were, what we wanted to do in the world, how we worked, our personalities. We spent five minutes on who does what because it was so obvious for us. He has product and engineering. I run sales. Like it just, I run HR, I run policy. It wasn't, it wasn't even complicated. Now everything I do, he does too, right? Because I report to him. But part of the scaling is finding people. And then I'll tell you one of my other just favorite hiring stories of all time. A woman named Lori Goler was not a good friend, a distant friend. And she was in marketing at eBay. And then I went to Facebook and she called me and she said this, she said, I think I want to come work with you at Facebook. So I thought I'd call you and tell you all the things I like to do and all the things I'm good at. But I figure everyone's doing that. So instead, I want to know what's your biggest problem and how can I solve it? Ah. Wow. And I said to her, my biggest problem is recruiting because we we needed to grow and I didn't have a recruiting team and you can solve it. You're in marketing, you know, operations, come run recruiting. She jumped over, she ran recruiting. She's now been in charge of all of our HR for a decade and she's magnificent. Well, what you're telling people is so helpful for them on any scale, because even if you're baking cookies at home and have one employee, these things are really important. The things that you're, you can feel it's like in your body. If you feel, uh, a body pain or something, you got to go look at that. If you're feeling a struggle within your business, you have to look at exactly where that's coming from. And do you feel like you've been a corporate person though? I mean, I know you work in tech, so it's way more free and way more sweatshirty, but do you feel like you've always wanted to have that structure, the safety of the group or the collaboration, the hierarchy? Do you like that? I mean, I don't think I'm a corporate person at all, but I think I seem from the outside, like very corporate. I think it would see, I don't think you seem like that, but I think it would have to be to work within the, the parameters of, of a big com- of a public company like that running the world. I mean, I just think you have to have some decorum. Well, I mean, look, we have to have structure. We have to have rules. We have to make sure there are things we can't mess up. One of the things that I think about as companies get bigger is you need to separate out the places you can take risk from the places you can't. I was, um, I went to a dinner once and I was seated on the bus going to the dinner with the CEO of a major airline. And I had just like been on like three flights that were delayed for catering and luggage. And I said to him, can I ask you a question? Running out of airlines seems like such a big deal. There's so much that can get wrong. How come all the delays are catering and luggage? You know, like it seems so small. And he looked at me and he said, well, I have a business. And in a huge part of my business, there is no room for error. None, zero, zip. Those planes have to take off. Those planes, can't. we cannot have a mechanical problem. We cannot have a maintenance problem. No room for error. All of our errors are catering and luggage. All of the delays should be catering and luggage. And I was like, one, that's not so smart on my part. And two, feel free. 
mess up on the catering. But I went back to Facebook and I said, okay, we got to figure out what's plane maintenance and what's catering and luggage. Wow. Plane maintenance is your privacy. Plane maintenance is making sure when you post, if you post something just to your your best friends, it doesn't get shared to the world. It just gets posted to your best friends. Making sure the service is up. That's our maintenance. Wow. But when we roll out a new product, we roll out a new shopping product. It doesn't have all the features. We can take risk there. We roll out reels and we haven't built the filters in yet, you know, or whatever it is. Those are the places. The catering and luggage doesn't have to be perfect. We can put out products and then iterate and learn. We don't have to build a 747. But there are areas of the business and every business has this. And so if I'm a corporate, I I hope not to be a corporate person. I don't feel like a corporate person, but yes, the law, the rules, the regulations, people's privacy, the decisions we make that are so important, that stuff is the maintenance. You're going out and speaking to these leaders of industry in totally different industries and bringing it back and compiling that to run your business. It seems like that's been your model. That would be, and I'm not going to tell you what books to write, but that would be a great book, the crystallization of what you've learned from all of these other game changers. Like you've described five of them already and we've been on for, you know, 20 minutes. You've given me a toolbox from your toolbox. I mean, when I went to Facebook, I knew I had never done this before and Mark had certainly never done this before again. 23 years old. Right. So we went around, we visited different companies. We went to Marine basic training at Quantico. We went to Procter and Gamble. We went to Samsung. We went to Walmart. We visited other companies to learn what we could learn from them. Well, and it's interesting that they were all open to sharing because what you've described a couple of times here is people being open to sharing. You talked about the, the Google information is about sharing and you're saying that all these other big, some competitors in ways are sharing. Yeah. And I, I'd like to think we pay that forward too. Nice. That's you know, amazing. So I'll give you an example. Managing bias. Diversity is so important and bias against women, which I know we're going to get into is so important. But I looked at most of the bias trainings out there and all they said is everyone has bias. But they were afraid to say what the bias is because it's hard to say it even in a training because when you say it, it sounds like maybe you believe it, but of course you don't. You're trying to point it out so people mm-hmm. see it. So here's the bias. People think men are smarter than women. People think race They judge performance differently based on race. You put out the exact same resume with a black name and a white name, exact same. And that white white name gets 50% more callbacks. That white name is worth eight years of experience in the workplace. That's the bias. So I actually worked with the same woman, Lori, and some other people. And I wrote the first version of our managing bias training. And it was for Facebook. And then we put it out on the web because we realized small companies aren't going to be able to do this. And now that training has gone through iteration after iteration after iteration. I think those are some of the ways we try to pay it forward to other companies as well. Well, I could be misstating it. I think it was Warren Buffett saying we're leaving half of the good players on the bench as it pertains to women, which, you know, we were talking about. And and then if we take it to race, you're leaving, you know, 75% of your good players on the bench. So you're not working with the best potential. I mean, it's actually really... Aside from being, you know, cruel, criminal, and unjust, it's also just not good, smart business. You're leaving the best players on the damn bench. So that's, you know. It would be great if everyone wanted to treat women, treat people of all backgrounds, all races equally, because it's the right thing to do. That would be awesome. And it is the right thing to do. But it's also, as you're saying, it's the smart thing to do. You know, you are the male CEO, or you are the most junior level entry. You're fresh, fresh out of college, fresh out of school. You take a job and you can work better with, as you're pointing out, more than half the population, the women, people of different backgrounds, you're going to outperform your peers and your company's going to outperform. There's so much, so much research that shows that teams and companies that are more diverse do better. We use the diverse slate rule. 
So we don't hire for jobs, senior jobs, and we're senior jobs, board jobs, but also increasingly throughout the whole country, we're working on scaling it without interviewing candidates who are diverse for that job. And you have to yeah, find them. Exactly. You have to sometimes take a pause, go out and find them. My foundation, Lean In, we did the diverse slate rule. And guess what we hired? What? A man. Interesting. It's the yeah. Lean In Foundation. Who do you think's applying? Women. And we looked around a couple of years ago. We're like, oh my God, we have no men. That's funny. And by the way, if we're going to get to equality, if you know, Lean In's mission is get to equality, having men along, along for the ride is going to be super important. We still don't have a lot of men, but we have a few. And I think those voices have been really important in our work. Well, for perspective, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And I also read something that seems obvious, but I agree with it. We get in the weeds with lawyers and business people. And when you've had a big problem negotiating something or working through a problem that you're a big fan, just getting on the phone yourself. And this has been so critical to me in business in ways where I'm talking to, you know, like having big girl conversations with people running multi-billion dollar conversations that I can't believe are calling me back. You know, I cold called Jeffrey Katzenberg last week about something and I just got on the phone because I wanted to crystallize it. And I agree with you. I've made deals go through by just getting on the phone, breaking it down and coming to terms. So women underestimate themselves. Bethany, if you were a man, you would not say, I can't believe Jeffrey Katzenberg is calling me back. You, you think? I, I promise. I promise. Let's have the moment we should have. First of all, I know Jeffrey and he's lovely and he calls everyone back. But second of all, of course he's calling you back. You're a major force in business. But I can't believe Sheryl Sandberg. I can't believe Sheryl Sandberg is on my podcast. So I live in my own little world. But but let's take a minute. You said you can't believe these people are calling you back. <laughs> no, wow. no, this is such an interesting moment, I think, because people are listening to this podcast, not for the guests you bring, but for you. This is a moment for you to say, I think, if it's okay. Of course. Of course they're calling you back. Of course I'm on your podcast. Your voice is really important and your example is really important. So to anyone listening, whatever that thing is, you're like, I can't believe they're doing it. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. And they will and they should. That's right. Thank you. That's very moving. Honestly, I'm like, I did not think you'd be the one. The COO of Facebook would be making me cry. Wow. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Imagine a sharp, stabbing pain on your skin. Sounds like a nightmare, right? While individual experiences may vary, it's how some people describe shingles. This painful, blistering rash could interrupt your life for weeks. It could even force you to cancel social events or weekend plans. Over 99% of adults 50 years or older already carry the virus that causes shingles. One in three people will get it in their lifetime. Why wait? 
Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles today. Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico or Puerto Rico. My accent's not the best, but I'm trying. But I know Puerto Rico well. I've been there so many times. I Be Strong has done so many missions after Hurricane Maria. It is more than just a name. It is a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. The unique Bariqua spirit infuses the island's culinary landscape with a one-of-a-kind passion and point of view unlike anywhere else. I love Puerto Rico. I've been there twice in the last year. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So you never think the emperor has no clothes. The empress has no clothes. Oh, no. Let's be clear. I have that moment all the time. When do you have that moment? Like about what? You wake up, you're like, did I do this? Is this really me? Did I, Did you overshoot the mark? I mean, look, I remember um, a bunch of years ago at Facebook, there was this really big project this guy, Jay Parikh, and I both were arguing for for years, years. And like, no one listened to us. And then two years later, we launched and everyone was like, this is really important. And I looked at everyone, tears in my eyes, like, thank you so much for believing in me and trusting me on this. And Jay looked up and said, we've been telling you to do this for years. You guys are late. I felt insecure for all those years. Like, I must be wrong. I know I want to do this. I know we should do this, but I must be wrong. He didn't think that for a minute. And I was already the COO of Facebook. That moment where we don't trust ourselves, where we feel bad, where we think about something we could have done better. Like, let's be clear, looking at every situation for what you can do better is important It's been really important to me at Facebook. We've been through a rough time and there are mistakes we made and we need to own those and I need to look at those. That's really important. But as women, you know, I've got four teenagers, four and an eight-year-old. And when the teenagers roll their eyes at me and my fiance, I sometimes walk in the bedroom, close the door and cry. And my fiance is like, they're teenagers. Doesn't hurt his feelings at all. Well, because you sometimes sweat the small stuff. I only sweat the small stuff. I always sweat the small stuff. Okay. So you always sweat the small stuff. So when the shit hits the fan, right, whatever it is, it feels like it's an emergency. It might be an emergency. It might be a five alarm fire. You could slide by the next day. So I use the the metaphor, like I hold the wheel tight, but like within control and decide like the moves I'm going to make. But you kind of have to step back, take a breath, crowdsource information, and then then sort of sort it like you're cleaning out your garage. What do you do? You have such high stakes. The world is watching because you've been so successful, but because you're at such a high level playing at such a high, 
you know, playing the Super Bowl all the time. What do you do when the shit hits the fan? Like, what's your process? I mean, my real answer, and I think you're someone I can talk to about this because you've lived it too, it really, really changed when Dave died. My answer six and a half years ago, if I, you know, if I were being totally frank, would it be, I put my hands on the wheel and I clench so tight my fingers hurt uh-huh. and I stress about it every second till I figure out what to do. And then I, you know, can't sleep till it's resolved. Right. <laughs> like that's my real, that's, that's the fact. That's just what I did. Okay. And now I have more perspective because I've just been through something so tragic and so awful that no matter how bad it gets, it doesn't come close to losing Dave and losing Dave suddenly. So now I guess the wheel doesn't feel as tight. And it doesn't mean I don't stress and it doesn't mean I don't get tense and it doesn't mean I don't, you know, get a group on the phone and make a list of what to do. And then I'll say, you know, you have a day. Everyone, let's get back together tomorrow morning. But like, I can't help myself. And for that afternoon, I call three of them. I'm like, just checking in. How's it going? And they're like, we have till tomorrow morning. I'm like, I know, just checking in. Anything I can do to help. Like I will follow up too much for sure. Okay. But not the way I did. But that's the back of the house. In the front of the house, you're grace under pressure. That's what's going on in the kitchen. I hope so. I don't know. I was not grace under pressure when Dave died. I was not. I, you know, would sit in meetings at work and, you know, burst into tears and have to leave the room. And now, I mean, I just, I just have perspective. I've really had to learn to judge myself. You know, I know that I wake up every day. Again, I want to be clear. I get things wrong. I make mistakes. I miss stuff. We miss stuff at Facebook, but I know I get up every single day and work as hard as I can, you know, to do the very best job I can. You know, I know how much I care about the people around me and about the service we provide and about the impact we have on the billions of people who use it. And I wake up every day and sometimes people see that and sometimes they don't, but I have to judge my own actions. And when I get things wrong, I have to admit it and acknowledge it and do better. And I, and I try to do that. And then you just have to, when the world is screaming, you've got to find a way, place to be your own judge. You find that quiet, you know? And also, I've lived through the bus crashing. Dave's death was the bus crashing. It crashed. It just, you know, you know, because you lived through the bus crashing. I didn't know. I, my bus did not crash like your bus crashed. That this isn't, I mean, I, I don't want to go further than you want to go. So I know that you experienced a tremendous loss with your husband who was 47 at the time. And you have children, and I can't even compare, but I, I know that it's absolutely it's gutting, and you're not thinking straight, and you're waking up in the middle of the night saying, "Is this true? Did this happen?" It was a dream. I mean, the trauma that you've experienced would be like, I mean, I can't imagine the trauma you've experienced. I, I really, really can't. So I want to understand what meaning you've made of that, if any. Have you said it's religion? It's brought me to this. He was in pain in other ways. Like what, even if it's not true, we, you know, what, what? No, what you're talking is called post-traumatic growth. Right. And if you ask people who's heard of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, everyone's heard of it. But if you ask people who's heard of post-traumatic growth, no one's heard of it unless they happen to have read my book. But more people experience post-traumatic growth. And on the other side, on the other side of Dave's death, my life is better. Now that does not mean I would choose it. I'm 51. I would have turned 50 being one of those women who was like, oh my God, I'm gray. I'm getting old. I have wrinkles. I, I can't believe I turned 50. I am so lucky and so happy. It turns out you either grow older or you don't. That's it. There is no staying at 16 option or maybe not 16, right. 36 option. I am so grateful. My relationship with Tom, my fiance, I just, I love him so much. And I have this sense of gratitude. And I, Dave and I were very happily married, 
But when he went to bed and he put his arms around me, I didn't have a feeling of, oh my God, this could go away. So now when Tom, and he does it every night, he puts his arms around me, we sleep like this every single night in my head. And sometimes out loud, I say, thank you. Because I appreciate that thing in a way that I didn't know. And honestly, I wish, Bethany, I think I was a good wife. Dave and I were really happy. But did I thank him every day for being alive? No, I didn't thank him every time he gave me a hug. And I wish I could go back and do that. I can't because he's gone. But I can do that with Tom and I can teach my kids that. And out of the worst things in our lives, we get better and we get stronger. And as women, we have to face a lot of things men don't face, especially if you run a business, if you have some success. Like there are costs that men don't bear. Right. Well, just sticking with this for one minute. First of all, how to separate it and for your fiance, if it's difficult to sort of try to compare yourself, which I know he probably doesn't, but you can't help. It's a hard, it's a hard act to follow a husband that you were happily married to who passed away. So I ask that about uh, your fiance, but I ask for you with respect to your late husband, is this relationship giving you things that your other relationship didn't? Like, are you having a totally different journey and realizing different things about yourself through this relationship that sort of make it in your mind meaningful? My friend, Jeff Huber, lost his wife. And he said, it's like going through a portal. You're just different. I mean, my relationship with Tom is so different because I'm different, but it is gratitude for the basics. It is gratitude. Like every day Tom is there to say good morning to me. I am like, oh my God, I'm so lucky. Wow. And and it's been a couple of years. Will I hang on to this for the rest of our lives? I hope so. I look at Tom, I'm 51. I'm like, maybe we've got 40 years. Maybe we've got 50. Maybe we've got five. I don't know. But I appreciate him in a way. And I appreciate life. Every birthday my kids have, even if they're eye-rolly teenagers, you know, every, I just, I have a deep sense of appreciation. So it taught you appreciation and gratitude, which is so amazing. That's the greatest gift that anyone could have. So now I'm finding the meaning of what happened to you. I understand. I, like I emotionally understand it. So I talk to a lot of people on here that are individually successful in relationships with other successful people. And so I call this sort of part successful relationships. So, you know, and I've heard they give each other a long leash each day. At some point they check in with one another. Someone said, I don't fix you. I fix me and you don't fix me. You fix you. So what have been the tenets, just like in business, that contribute to now two successful relationships that you've been in while being this successful, while having all these children and the weight of the world on your shoulders? What is your recipe? It's so cliche, but really good communication. Tom and I try to take a long walk every week. We're very um, deliberate about it. I keep a list of things I want to tell him through my day. Little things, big things. I will share the moment. I can think of the two moments in this co- in this podcast. I'm going to make sure, and I, you know, he'll listen to it, but I know you won't put the whole thing up. So I will, I wrote down like the two things I want to share Aww. and, um, and just really um, holding up a mirror. I mean, one of the amazing things about Tom is he really does make me better. He really does. You know, I take things super seriously. I want super strict rules. He's like, our kids' rooms are messy. It's okay. It's not that serious. Let's make a joke, you know? He's not sweating the small stuff. He's, He's never stuff. sweating the small stuff. And, and to be fair, I do it a lot less than Dave's life, but I still do. Well, so we wanted to talk about the woman thing. I think it's not just important, but it's something I'm so curious about. So I entered an industry that was cocktails and I didn't know what I didn't know. So I didn't know that cocktails had always been marketed to men and owned and marketed by men. And I just didn't know that the world was 
peddling liquor and no one was thinking of what women wanted. So I just wanted to make this product, but I didn't think about all the meaning that it had and that it was the first product intentionally marketed to women. So I never thought about that. I never thought about what women get or aren't getting, what I'm getting, what I'm not getting. So some of the things you've talked about in corporate America, I haven't experienced and I didn't understand, but I also was always sort of by myself in business, right? So I wasn't within that framework. So I, it's just something that's never, I've never experienced. But what I do really relate to and want to talk about is being quote unquote tough or a bitch because I really, I'm tough. I am absolutely tough. There is no, you know, I'm not abusive and I'm not, you know, unfair and I'm generous, but I'm tough, admittedly. And it's been documented on television. I wonder if a man being exactly like I am as a man, if it really, if the lens really is different. And you've spent a lot of time researching this and experiencing. So I want to hear what you think about this. Full stop. The lens is different. It just is. This is so important. This was my big aha that led me to give my TED Talk to write my book. Okay. As a man gets more successful, he is better liked. And as a woman gets more successful, she is less liked. Wow. I feel that. Wow. When I was in business school, in between the summer, first and second year, I got a letter. I, I find it immodest to tell this story, but I'm going to tell the story because it's so important. And I put this okay. in my book and it was hard for me to put this in my book, but I put it in my book and I'm going to tell the story. I got a letter saying, congratulations, you're first in your class. And I got a check and it was for like, you know, $513.26 or something. That was obviously a split prize. So I was like, huh, there are a couple of people who are first in the class and there was a prize and we split it because no one puts a prize out with 26 cents. So I got back to school and the way grades work at business school where I went, 50% is class participation. And the way it works is, you know, if you say something and then someone else says, oh, as Bethany said, so if people think you're smart, you do better. So there is a reason for people to think you're doing well. So I get back okay. to school and there were, I think it was four, forget now, there were four men who told everyone they were first in the class. There was a prize with a name. And I multiplied my check times five and it was a nice round number. And I never told anyone. And those four men did. And it worked for them because all of second year, they could basically not do that much work. And they would say something and everyone's like, as Mark said, because everyone thought they're the smartest. And I thought that I was modest. Like I didn't want to brag. But what I learned later is I hope I was still modest, but I was smart because it wasn't going to work for me. By telling everyone they were first in the class, they were respected, better liked. If I had told everyone or told, you don't have to tell everyone, you tell three people and they tell everyone. I was going to be aggressive, assertive, a shark, they used to call it. And I was called that. They used to call it a shark at business school. If you were super aggressive in your thing, I was called that. And I'm like watching these men. I'm like, tape me, tape him. He's much more assertive. Go to a playground. Anyone listening, go to a playground this weekend. There will be a little girl. She will be called bossy by her parents. You walk up to that family. You say, that little girl's not bossy. That little girl has executive leadership skills. Wow. Wait, wait, and that's funny. You just laughed. I just laughed. Ready? Let's try it the other way. That little boy has executive leadership skills. It's not funny. Why? Because humor goes against expectation. So to this day, you've got you, you've got me. We're on a podcast, which is about success for women. It is funny to say a little girl has executive leadership skills and not funny at all for a boy. So this is deep. And women are judged in a way men do not. If a woman is asked to do a favor at work and she doesn't do it, it hurts her in terms of performance and rating. If a man is asked to do a favor at work and he doesn't do it, no cost. He's busy. But if he does it, he's the greatest guy ever. Interesting. And this this happens over and over and over. So I haven't watched your whole show and I haven't seen every scene. But if you're asking 
are you being judged as tougher than a man saying the exact same thing? The answer is yes. 100%. That's why The Devil Wears Prada is an iconic movie. And Wall Street is too, but not for the same reasons. He's he's celebrated Gordon Gecko when he was a criminal. And Devil Wears Prada, you know, it's Anna Wintour running an empire. I just want to say the last thing I want to say to you is you're an incredible writer. And I love that Facebook allows you to have that experience for yourself in expressing yourself and writing these amazing books with such important conversation, but you're very passionate about writing and I am too. So I, I, I see that in you just, you love it. And I'm just so happy that you get that outlet to really express yourself. And I'm so, so grateful you took the time. I literally could have talked to you for two hours and you're one of the busiest women I've ever met. I'm so grateful for what you're doing. Um, for the people that are listening, I've been saying for a long time, men run the world and it's not going that well. But if you ever needed a proof point, the world just handed us COVID where countries run by women did had lower death rates. But the thing is, it's going to be every little girl who thinks she can do math and science. It's going to be every woman who listens to your podcast and realizes that, oh my God, Bethany doesn't think people should call her back. I feel that way too. Of course they should call her back. That means they should call me back. It's about looking at someone in the face when they say you're aggressive, you're assertive, you're the B word, bossy or the other B word. Mm -hmm. which men don't get called and saying, I'm powering through. And then if we could get more women into leadership, you wouldn't be called that anymore because it would be normal. It's still just so exceptional that people still have a hard time dealing with that. And when we're doing this, we have to also get more women of color because all the challenges that white women face, women of color have all that gender bias and then all that race bias. Wow. And we need, we need that to change. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Have a wonderful day and love to your family. But thank you. Well, that was exceptional, extraordinary, just really amazing. That was Cheryl Sandberg. I mean, she is running arguably the most powerful, important, influential company in the world in history. I mean, that is moving just in and of itself and she's so passionate and cause driven in an authentic communicative way because some people come on and you know wax poetic and get up on the soapbox but she's sort of explaining things in a different way that we know that we just talk about it's it's just in passing and you see it on an Instagram post but she's really getting granular about how things are and how things feel and how things work and uh, women are really important to her. Uh, It's inspiring, and she's been through an ordeal. But her husband at 47, they were on vacation in Mexico. He died instantly from a head injury from a treadmill. Like, with children, she was in love, she was happy. I mean, that's a blow that is unbelievable and unimaginable. And I woke up one Friday morning, and um, someone who was in my life for over 30 years, who uh, I was engaged to, died, uh, was found dead in his apartment. So I experienced a horrible, traumatic and tragic loss, but it cannot be compared to what I believe that she endured. And then going back and running this major powerful force and learning from it and meeting someone else like I did. And, you know, Paul saved me from Dennis. But I think what she said about compassion and being grateful and appreciation We know it, we say it, but we don't really think it. And I think that's what I took away the most from today, just to really, like, really, Paul's here, and I'm going to go in the other room and just 
freak him out by telling him how much I love him and how appreciative I am and how happy I am. He's on this earth. So he's going to be in a state of shock. Um, so thank you, Cheryl Sandberg. That was exceptional and extraordinary. And I hope all of you take from that, just, you know, take the wisdom, the learning tools, mold it into what you need to do what you need to do. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. I appreciate you listening. Thank you and have a great day. Just Be is hosted and executive produced by me, Bethany Frankel. Just Be is a production of Be Real Productions and iHeartRadio. Our managing producer is Fiona Smith and our producer is Stephanie Stender. Our EP is Morgan Lavoie. To catch more moments from the show, follow us on Instagram at Just Be With Bethany. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.